Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, good evening, everyone. We welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. On your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. We're also streaming live at WSBTradio.com on the free WSBT radio app. Also a video feed on the Twitch app. And once again, like last night, if you've tuned in below the shot of Eric Hansen, it says Allison Hayes, but I promise it is Eric Hansen. The publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. We encourage you while you're listening to the program on your phone, laptop, whatever electronic device you use, check out InsideIndieSports.com. Mr. Hansen, how are you today? This is Allison Hayes. (laughs) You don't look like Allison Hayes, (laughs) I I don't think. I I, don't think unless uh, my reading glasses need adjusted. (laughs) But anyway, good to be with you. We will be together magically through technology on Saturday with Game Day Sports Beat. Brought to you by Bud Light as we preview Notre Dame Clemson. We're on from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. And Tyler Horka will be at Clemson. Eric will be in studio. I'll be in Pennsylvania with the Irish hockey team as they take on Penn State Saturday and Sunday. But magically, we will make it all work again 9 a.m. 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Coming up, we've got the advantage game as we preview Notre Dame-Clemson. We've got a recap of some of the questions Eric was asked in his InsideIndieSports.com chat Wednesday at noon. Also, we have our Twitter question of the day. VEASAN host and diehard Notre Dame football fan Tim Murray back with me talking Notre Dame football from Vegas and offers a perspective on Notre Dame Clemson from what they're saying out in Vegas. Right now, Notre Dame a three-point favorite over under still at 45. Some have it at 44 and a half. For Notre Dame and Clemson, you'll hear from Tim in the 6 o'clock hour. We'll play back some of the comments of Notre Dame basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury as Notre Dame basketball played an exhibition game against Hanover College on WSBT Radio last night. And we will wrap up the program with our sports wagering segment, We Going to Sizzler. We start tonight's program with a couple of thoughts on the loss of a basketball icon here in the state of Indiana. Last night we learned the passing of a former Indiana basketball coach, Bob Knight, at the age of 83. He had been in failing health for some time, and Coach Knight passed away at the age of 83 yesterday. And, Eric, you used to cover Indiana University basketball. You were front row in press conferences, and I know you've told me through the years when I've asked you about your time covering Bob Knight, that time made you 
such a better reporter that you're probably still reaping the rewards of that experience even today. I would say so, and and uh, just trying to boil Bob Knight's passing his impact, who he was, into um, a very short sentence here is like trying to pour the Pacific Ocean into a paper cup. I mean, it's really it's complicated. complicated and difficult and so forth. The one thing that I – well, I'll mention two things. One is I'm not sure everybody was aware of how badly Bob Dyke was dealing with dementia at the end of his life. Um, Bob Hamill, who's a mutual friend of ours um, – and I were talking the day after Bob Knight returned to Assembly Hall a few years ago for the first time since he had been fired at Indiana. And I was really curious to find out what Bob thought of that experience in retrospect. And Bob Hamill told me he doesn't remember it. He did not remember it the next day. That's how deeply the dementia had affected him at that point. I would say, um, you know, I spent about 12 years covering Indiana basketball and sometimes overlapping with Purdue, which was an interesting tightrope. But he's a brilliant guy. I mean, he, he was one of the most brilliant coaches in any sport that I've covered, and obviously that's reflected in his wins. I also think that he could have done it without the um, stuff that he was criticized for. And I don't think he ever believed that he could. Um, I I think there could have been an evolution with him where, for lack of a better term, a kinder, gentler uh, Bob Knight existed, and he just didn't feel like that would ever work for him. I I just think his knowledge of basketball and everything was brilliant, but – um, there are some dark moments with him. And so, again, it's hard to put that all in a capsule and say, well, was he a great person? A lot of people like to say, well, you know, there's a lot of goodness that people didn't know about. And that's true. Yes. And I also think there were there was darkness that people didn't know about. And I saw a lot of it. I will share one story, too, that at one point uh, when Bob Hamill retired, the Bloomington paper took about a year to decide who his successor was going to be. Big decision. And they contacted me very early in that process, and then I didn't hear from him for over six months. And I thought, okay, <laughs> well, that was interesting. And then they came back to me, and they said, you know, we'd like to have you come down for an interview. And I went down there. I had two pretty small children at the time. I loved working at the South Bend Tribune. Loved, loved, loved it. And I also wanted to be a really good dad. And I and I knew how many – I mean, I worked a lot of hours, but I knew Bob Hamill was just so um, ensconced in that whole mm. thing that I would not be a good dad, I don't think, and, and I would be leaving a place that I loved. And so I turned them down. And uh, Bob Knight called – uh, at my house, my younger son picked it out. I think he was maybe two at the time and said, Daddy. And uh, so I get on the phone and I did not expect to hear from Bob Knight and he wanted to know why I was turning the job down. So that was an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. And I can see from that conversation why people would say, like, why – why would recruits ever go play there if they knew what they were kind of walking into? He's very charming, and it's not inauthentic. There is a charming side to him. And we had a really good talk, and he actually agreed with my reasons uh, for wanting to stay at the South Bend Tribune and uh, continue my career there. So, I mean, <laughs> it feels like a lifetime ago, and yet I'm impacted by those 12 years Every day I do my job. But one, one of the th- funny things, boy, I'm getting way off That's topic okay. here, is, um, you know, I used to overdress going to the um, Indiana games. I would wear a coat and tie because I didn't want him to think I was at the student newspaper because I was 23 years old 
I want him to think I was a grown-up journalist. <laughs> That's who he was dealing with. Wow. Well, as someone that grew up in central Illinois, a diehard Illinois basketball fan, we look at Bob Knight a whole lot different than yeah. the folks do in the state of Indiana. I think there was a respect. The coach, Bob Knight, in terms of his strategy, his X's and O's, his teaching, obviously, and you were at the real assembly hall in Champaign <laughs> years ago when Bob Knight ran off the floor before the game was over, waving at Illinois fans, and that really heated up the rivalry, which led to Illinois coach Lou Henson. Classic bully was the words that came out of Lou's mouth, and apparently he tried to go after Bob Knight, and I think the story that I've read is that a couple of assistants, including Dan Dockage, held Lou Henson back from going after Bob Knight because he was seriously trying to get to him. Given Bob Knight's stature, I think that was a good move that those assistants held Lou Henson back because he would have gotten clobbered. Um, he's a big dude. I mean, that was the one thing that I didn't see on TV growing up that the first time I was next to him, and I go, wow, this guy's 6'5 and, and big. I mean, he's a big dude. My dad was 6'4 uh, and was a big dude, and, and Bob Knight was taller um, and, uh, so yeah, that was, I was there for that classic bully game. I was there for the <laughs> chair toss. I was there for all of it. WCIA and Champaign got deep into the archives and Lou and Bob did not agree on many things. And they had that incident, but February 29th, 1996, I don't know if you were at this game or not. It was Lou's last game in Bloomington. He was retiring as yeah. Illinois head coach. And Bob Knight presented him a chair. Yep, rocking chair. So you were there for this? Yeah. All right, so this is just a 50-second clip of the audio. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us were surprised that Bob said what he said. And even you could tell in his voice he got a little emotional. So this was Knight with a chair in between the two, Lou Henson and Bob Knight, and Bob addressing Lou over the PA system. During those 21 years, the players on both teams have shown what college basketball, the very best of college basketball. Uh, there's never, there's, there's never been an incident with players in any one of our games. On the back of this chair, there will be a plate that simply says to Lou Henson, an excellent coach, a tough opponent, best wishes, from Indiana basketball. And we haven't agreed on everything over the years, but I'm going to miss you. Thank you. Thank you. Is this really the Bob Knight that I know? <laughs> you know, when you think about the coaches that were in the Big oh, Ten at that time, glory days. It's it's there are icons, and I mean, just one after another, after another, after another, and national championship coaches. And and another thing that happened during that era was Bob Knight's blow up with Bill Frieder <laughs> at Michigan after one game, and it was the only time that I've written a couple of different words that my editor, the executive editor at the little paper I was at the time wanted me to make sure that I included, and he called him a chicken bleep, mother bleep. And that made it, I mean, the actual words made it into our print. Really? And you know what? Not one person called to complain. Because you expect day. it. They, they expected it, and some admired it. <laughs> and thought, you know what? That's the truth about Bill Frieder. But, and they, I mean, brought, they brought that story back down, just put Jim Harbaugh's name instead of Frieder's. Yeah, I mean, it, it was... <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, I think back at that time and I'd have stories forever to tell um, amazing stories. Notre Dame basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury offered some comments about the passing of Bob Knight last night. And, you know, my thoughts and prayers to the Indiana basketball family, um, but really a lot of, a lot of people in the state of Indiana, um, you know, I grew up a, a, 
a kid from from Jeffersonville, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, you know every every high school in this state was playing man-to-man defense and running motion offense because of Coach Knight. Um, and like my high school coach played for him at Army. Uh, my college coach is is an Ohio State grad, um, so so knew him from then. Um, but like a lot of the upbringing, a lot of the things that that you know, I think about as a coach, um, a lot of us coaches all goes back to, to, to him. So um, I know there's a lot of people hurting right now because of that. So um, just want to know, like, everybody at Indiana University know that, you know, Northern basketball family is thinking about you. That's a Purdue guy right there. And Coach Katie's come out with a statement today. And, of course, you would think they would have been arch rivals, but Coach Katie and Coach Knight were – Warriors on the basketball court, but I don't know how long they were good friends, but, I mean, recently when Coach Knight came back to Bloomington, Gene Cady was right there. Yeah, so when they were competing, they were rivals. <laughs> yeah, I, I, had enough, I had enough conversations with each of them separately that, yeah, that, that was, they, weren't, they weren't buddies. They would go play golf. Every year there would be a helicopter that would pick them up and take them to an undisclosed golf course. They didn't know where they were going, and they would play golf once a year together. Hmm. Gene said until that he swept Indiana one year and the night wasn't on the helicopter. <laughs> uh, but, but I will say this, post their post-coaching days, and especially when – this is amazing with Gene Katie, um, when Bob – started having touches of dementia, Gene Cady was a guy that was right there that was a super friend to him. And when he went back to Assembly Hall, I mean, Gene Cady had spent the day with him. Hmm. And I think they watched basketball games together either that day or the next day together. Um, and then he was very compassionate with Bob in that state. You know, wasn't bitter about stuff. And there was some – Bitter, bitter games. I mean, there was the chair toss game. <laughs> uh, Gene Cady's wife got like people were throwing coins and stuff. She got hit in the eye with a coin had this big bandage over her yeah. eye. I mean, there were. I mean, there was. I don't want to say it was bad blood, but it is was as deep as a rivalry as you could get. And uh, <laughs> so, and there's things I've promised. Gene Kade wouldn't share outside his office, so I will keep those to myself. But, um, but it was interesting to see at the end the the friendship between those guys was amazing, and it it touches your heart. I mean, it just absolutely melts you. The Bob Knight TV show was always interesting. <laughs> I've seen clips of that, and the time he was mad at Purdue. And he asked the AD of Purdue to come on his show. And, of course, the Purdue AD declined. So what did Knight do? He brought in a donkey wearing a Purdue hat. <laughs> and he named the AD, of course. Another word for donkey, I think, if I yeah. remember correctly. <laughs> so I always felt bad for Chuck Marlowe, who was oh. the host of that show, because he had absolutely no control over where that was going. When I first started here, I produced his radio show on these airwaves, and he would stop answering the question. You hear the the knife and the steak. <laughs> he would be he'd be chopping it up, and he'd be talking, and then he would start chewing. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was nothing like you've ever heard before. It was something else. And then the golf outtakes of his golf show he had on YouTube. If you ever want to see Bob Knight <laughs> on a golf course, just go to Bob Knight Golf on YouTube. Have you ever watched them? The outtakes? I got I did not watch the outtakes, but I got Gene Cady's personal review of the show in his office once. <laughs> which cannot be disclosed. Which cannot be disclosed. Oh, come on. Yeah, the, the Bob Knight Golf outtakes is one of the greatest things you'll ever find on YouTube. How about that? All right. We've got the advantage game and Plenty of Notre Dame football talk to get to, but we wanted to obviously talk about Coach Knight for a second. Then we'll get to some Notre Dame football talk. But as we go to break, there were a lot of classic lines that Bob Knight had, and we'll go to break with this one. In my time 
on earth is gone and my activities here are past. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my ass. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to Estime. 10 5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat at 531. We're live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, the WSBT radio app, and on the Twitch app. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideNDSports.com. It's time to get to our advantage game. It is Notre Dame at 7-2, taking on 4-4 Clemson down in South Carolina Saturday at noon. Here are the game right here on WSBT Radio. Pre-game starts at 6 a.m. Eric Tyler and I with Game Day Sports Beat brought to you by Bud Light from 9 until 11 a.m. Our advantage game is very simple. We have six categories in the game. We have a conversation about each one, and we decide in each category which team has the advantage. So, Eric, let's begin with the old Clemson Tigers. The last time they have been 500 with four games to go in a regular season, 2010. That year they finished 6-7. and seven. But Eric Hansen, they're a 4-4 four and four football team right now. They've lost two in a row. They lost in double overtime to the Miami Hurricanes on the road, 28-20. And then last Saturday they lost in Raleigh to North Carolina State. 24 to 17. Dabo is yelling and screaming at callers in his radio show. Will Shipley may not play. I mean, what chance do they have in this game? Right. Well, and there's more uh-huh. more uh, players that may not play. Mm-hmm. Three more starters. But the spread is only three. Hmm. Well, there's good reasons for that too. Mm. Okay. Let's dig into it. Let's start with the Clemson offense. They average right around 28 points per game. That's middle of the pack right now in college football. So, Eric, let's start with the Clemson rushing attack. We mentioned Will Shipley. Maffa is a really good number two running back for this Clemson football team. That running game against the Notre Dame run defense, which is getting better. What do you have to say about that matchup? Well, especially if Will Shipley can't go and he got a concussion last Saturday, and that would be a really quick turnaround. I mean, yeah. even if he were cleared, he would have missed the whole week of practice, you would figure. Um, and then there's not anybody behind Maffa. They, the, the people have like single-digit carries, other than Cade Klubnick, their quarterback, who is a little bit mm. not underwater as far as his running, but not, you know... What do you think about Riley Leonard and guys like that and Caleb Williams? Um, The last two teams that have played Clemson have really leaned into run defense and held them down and taken their chances with the Clemson passing game. Clemson is 64th in the country in rush offense. Notre Dame is 40th in run defense, which is probably the area where they could – they need to improve the most in, but they are getting better in that as well. Yep. And some of that is coming from their sacks. Uh, but uh, Notre Dame gets the check mark here, and I think they will lean into their run defense. I think they will look at what Miami and NC State had success with and stop the run first, especially if Moffa's got to carry, do all the carrying himself. Eric, as good as Notre Dame is across the board in the national defensive statistics, And I know last week Pittsburgh went one for 11 on third downs. Isn't it strange? Statistically, Notre Dame isn't very good on third down defensively. Right, but that has been something they've been improving on the last few games. But, yeah, that early in the year they weren't. Weird. And a lot of that was, again, they didn't have the pressures worked out. And so 
teams were able to kind of have it third and five and stuff. And even when it was third and long, they got an inordinate amount of third downs early in the season. They're not getting them now. Okay, so now when Cade Klubnik and the Clemson passing attack goes to work against a Notre Dame defense, Eric, pass efficiency defense, only Michigan and Ohio State are better right now. Right, so... Clemson is 45th in pass offense, 71st in pass efficiency. As you mentioned, Notre Dame is third in pass efficiency defense. Now, this will be the third top 10 pass defense Clemson's gone against. So they have gone, and it hasn't gone well. Um, And so big check mark here for Notre Dame, especially with uh, Ben Morrison and Cam Hart coming back. But, man, those young kids, Jaden Mickey and Christian Gray, Looked awfully good at filling in. With our experience taking on some really good Clemson teams, their wide receiving core is less than spectacular. Good, it, but nothing spectacular. Well, I, certainly down down the field, I mean, they are near the bottom of the country in yards per attempt and yards per completion. Uh, they are they are not. I mean, you think about how scary Clemson was oh, with their receivers in twenty eighteen, and yeah, and. Uh, yeah, there was. They came at you in waves, and now they have had some swings and misses on wide receiver talent, and they have not supplemented through the portal. The tsunami has hit them. Yes. Okay. Now let's go to the Fighting Irish offense taking on a Clemson defense statistically across the board, one of the best in the country. Notre Dame's rushing attack, they were supposed to be at least halfway stymied by Pittsburgh because, Eric, what does Pittsburgh do defensively? They try to take away your run. Didn't happen. Notre Dame had good success. Audric Estime went over 100 rushing yards, and now they take on a Clemson defense that you look at their stats. They've had some ups and downs along the way, but Florida State stands out 20 carries for 22 yards. Yeah. So in these the games that have been played between Clemson and Notre Dame in 2015, whoever won the rushing battle wins the game, whether it's close or whether the score has been a blowout. And the rushing totals haven't been close. Notre Dame clobbered them in the running game last year. Drew Pine only had nine completions in that game. But Notre Dame just ran over Clemson, which was the stunning part of that. And really, in the first 2020 game, Notre Dame clobbered them. I mean, they held Clemson to 34 rushing yards, and they were over 200 in that double overtime win over number one Clemson. Absolutely all the numbers reversed themselves in the ACC championship yeah. game. Clemson is the has the better statistics here. They're 15th in run defense. We may not see Tyler Davis, their defensive tackle. He's battling some injuries. Notre Dame is 37th in pass or rush offense. They opened up the run with their pass in the game. They're going to have to do that against Clemson. I'm giving Clemson the check mark here, not the heavy check mark, but I am giving them the check mark. Okay. The how the game plays out segment tomorrow on the program that I do, I'm going to be a little more excited about the Irish rushing attack. Okay. I'm a little nervous now after hearing what you had to say, but I, I think – I got a feeling it might be okay. All right, anyway. Yeah, I think they will be okay, but I think it's it's they're going to have to chisel it. Yeah, they're going to have chisel. to chisel. Yeah, okay. Well, seven, baby. Seven can chisel, right? Right. Seven is the guy that can do all that work to loosen them up a little bit. So seven. there you go. Seven. Okay, now seven, let's go seven, to seven, Notre Dame seven, throwing the football. Seven, Eric Sam Hartman is 0-5 against Clemson. We got to stop this. Right, 0-4 as a starter, 0-5 as a Wake Forest player, although we had six touchdowns against them uh-huh. last year. And then the coaching staff messed up by trying to run it right. against cover two. So um, from the number standpoint, Notre Dame is 44th in pass offense, but they're ninth in pass efficiency. That's mm. one of the most efficient passing offense Clemson's going to see this year. They are 12th in pass efficiency defense, and you look, and nobody's really had a good day. Jordan Travis didn't have a good mm-hmm. day against them. I mean, you still look at the numbers and you go, how did Florida State end up winning this game? And th- that will be upcoming here. But um, <laughs> but I give Clemson the check mark here. Mm-hmm. I think 
Notre Dame's passing attack is going to be good enough, but it's not going to dominate them. Based on your check marks, the under for this game is looking awfully good. I would think so. What is the over-under? It was 45. It okay. might be at a 44 and a half okay. in some spots. Okay. Special teams. Notre Dame has really gotten a big boost of a special teams lately. You know, Chris Tyree's Whew. punt return, Jadarian Price's kickoff return, the uh, recovery of a muff punt against Pittsburgh. Uh, they're starting to get their mojo on special teams after maybe being a little bit disappointed. Spencer Schrader's on a roll. Uh, Clemson's field goal kicking has been awful. They're 7 of 14. They're barely over 50% inside the 30. Remember, they got the guy that can kick yeah, it from 80, yeah, apparently, yeah, but he can't make it from 29. He, he's, <laughs> he's one for four this year. They've gone to another kicker, and he's six for 10. They're, I think, one for five from 40 and beyond, so probably not going to see that 70-yarder kicked against Notre Dame. So Notre Dame gets the check mark in special teams. Finally, intangibles, which may include the smoking pig. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody's going to have their pregame meal there since they don't serve breakfast. That's a shame. Um, That's a crime. So here's the intangibles. Clemson has been a turnover machine. They have been their own worst enemy. The missed field goals and then all the turnovers. They're 95th in the country in turnover margin. Notre Dame's 8th. And so Notre Dame has a big advantage there where Clemson has a big advantage. There's some interesting numbers here, but in the playoff era, which is 10 years, this is the 10th year of the playoff era, Mm -hmm. Clemson visiting teams going into Clemson Stadium have come out how many times 65 times teams have gone in. How many times have they come out with a win? Four. Three. Well, it's going to be four. And it was <laughs> one-point win, one-point win, overtime win. Those are the Florida State this year, South Carolina last year, and a weird Pittsburgh upset in 2016 when Clemson won the national championship that year. They lost to Pittsburgh at home, but won the national championship. That was their one loss in 2016. Um, mm. Now, Notre Dame is 19-1 and in November since 2018, the one loss being USC at the end of last year. So they've been a good November team. I'm going to give Clemson the intangibles here mm-hmm. because there's no guarantee you're going to have turnovers in a game, and that's still an awfully difficult place to play. Mm. Aha! Aha! Wow, that's a lot of good information right there. You jammed into that segment. So am I supposed to pick the winner or no? Yeah, let's do that because advantage game you had when Clemson runs it, advantage Notre Dame. When Clemson throws it, advantage Notre Dame. Flip-flop, when Notre Dame runs or throws, you give the Clemson defense the advantage. Special teams to Notre Dame. The smoke and pig factored into the intangibles going to Clemson, so the spread is three, the over-under 44-and-a-half, and you say? With a Spencer Schrader 57-yard oh. field goal, Notre Dame win. A school record 57-yard field goal, Notre Dame wins 20-17. to 17. Big time budgets. Wow, 20-17 on a last second. 57-yarder. Yep. Holy cow. Who's calling that game on ABC ESPN? I don't even know. It's you know Sean McDonough. Oh, it'll be great Greg then. McElroy, and I don't remember the sideline reporter's name, but I know she's good. Molly McGrath. McGrath, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the best crew in college football. That's yeah. going to be good. McDonough will love that last-second field goal from okay. 57. That's beautiful. All right. So it's a push. Okay. Okay. I have Clemson scoring 16. Okay. I have Notre Dame scoring 27. All right. Mm-hmm. Aha. Well, you know what? I mean, who would have thought it would have been 35-14 with Drew Pine at quarterback I, absolutely. for Notre Dame last year? Who's the better team? Notre Dame is the better team, but that they venue their capabilities. is difficult. Yep. And coaching decisions and a lot of things can factor into a game like this. Right. We'll take a timeout. We'll recap some of Eric's chat questions involving Notre Dame football next on WSBT. 
can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. I feel a little guilty today. <laughs> I really do because during the commercial breaks, Eric is sharing more Bob Knight, Gene Cady stories, and I'm just sitting here with my feet up like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is, I mean, I asked him, were you there when Coach Knight had the whip? Yep. When he smashed the phone? Yep. On down the line? Yep. <laughs> yeah, the, the whip was not the best idea in the world. It was not the best idea in the world, but it got blown out of proportion. And it, it did. Was, Oh man, yeah, those are the days. I mean, if there was Twitter back then, I can't, I can't imagine how things would have been different. But boy, news traveled fast. Oh yes, yes it did, no <laughs> doubt. All right, Eric Hansen, the publisher, editor, InsideIndieSports.com. Darren Pritchett, Sports Speak continues at five fifty. Let's roll through some of the questions that Eric answered during his chat at InsideIndieSports.com yesterday. Joe from Williams Bay, Wisconsin. He says, it was nice to finally have two consecutive games without having to go to the ER for heart palpitations. I'm wondering what you think the effects are going to be with Mitch Evans' unfortunate season-ending injury. What adjustments do you think Parker can make to minimize it and which player is most likely to step up? Well, I mean, Mitch Evans led Notre Dame with 10 third-down conversions. Jabron Payne is next with eight. Nobody has more than four. So they're going to miss him on those big third-down conversions. I think, um, you know, you you still have the numbers at tight end. You get Eli Reardon more involved. And I, I actually asked Marcus about, you know, kind of the mental hurdles that he's overcoming and how ready he is maybe for that role. So... And then I think Jaden Thomas being healthy eventually, um, you know, because he's obviously had a had a setback after the Louisville game with a hamstring. He went from 35 touches or reps to six and 11 the last two games. You get him more involved. I think that's that's going to be helpful there. Jeff from Boston. I'm curious, Eric. What were you thinking as Marcus Freeman let the clock run down in the first half? I was dumbfounded. Did Marcus Freeman get asked about this at all? Tyler James of InsideIndieSports.com did ask the question. And did he acknowledge his mistake? He didn't acknowledge it as a mistake. He um, just kind of walked through his thinking about it, which still kind of I was slack-jawed at hearing that. And yet I realize, you know, we're not always going to agree on certain strategies, but I think that one was kind of universally icky. Um, But, I, you know, (laughs) one thing that was interesting today, one of the things I asked Marcus was, who do you listen to? Do you listen? Do you seek out advice? Are you open to hearing from unsolicited (laughs) advice from coaches? And, And that's the thing I do like about Marcus is that he is willing to listen, look at it from a different perspective. He's not going to be stubborn and digging his heels. And so we're going to get some of these moments um, until he has the experience of saying, you know what, I remember that pit game. That was a bad move. <laughs> All right. Ronald, who is 20 minutes from my hometown in Springfield, Illinois. Eric, how will the new ACC schedule affect Notre Dame's contract with the ACC? Will the Stanford game be a conference game, a non-conference game, any information on Notre Dame TV contract with NBC? Well, let's get to the contract with NBC. That runs through 2025. They're in negotiations. I think, you know, it's going to be, this is going to happen probably under Pete Bavakwa's watch when he becomes the AD, you know, not just the AD and waiting uh, next spring. So then I think things will ramp up a little bit more. As far as the ACC contract, I mean, they've got these games scheduled all the way out to 2037. The initial thought was that Stanford stays a standalone series. Now, what do you do with SMU and Cal? Are you able to work them in at some point? I don't think that's a big priority right now of of them doing that. Uh, But, you know, 
we'll see. There's rumblings about teams wanting to leave the ACC. Maybe then you plug these teams into the spots where those teams go. But right now, you know, it's pretty close to status quo. Mark from Orange County, California. How does Notre Dame's offensive line and defensive line match up with Clemson? In what component of the game does Clemson present the biggest challenge to Notre Dame? Well, um, Notre Dame, let's compare the offensive line. Notre Dame's okay. offensive line is better than Clemson's. Mm-hmm. And Clemson may be missing two starters on Saturday on their offensive line. Uh, I'm I'm pretty certain that that's going to happen. So their whole left side of their offensive line is going to be gone, and that's going to weak. Defensively, Clemson's got more NFL talent in their defensive front. Notre Dame has played pretty darn good, but I still think Clemson has the edge. So going defensive line, the defensive lines have the advantage on both the offensive lines here. What was the other part of that? What component of the game does Clemson present the biggest challenge? Defense. I mean, there's nothing wrong with their defense. There's nothing wrong with their defense. Dave from Ponta Vedra, Florida. With the season at the three-quarter pole, what's your best guess as to who might leave early for the NFL? Dave says, I would love to see Xavier Watts stick around for another year. We had um, NFL analyst Mike Renner on our podcast during the first bye week, and he's really on top of that. He Now, this was before, um, before his... Uh, Pittsburgh game, but not before his USC game. And he thinks Watt should come back. And, but, you know, you, he's an ascending player right now. He's going to listen and see. And, and, you know, if he feels like he can play himself into a higher draft round, that would be good. So the other people that I think, and this, I'm relying on, um, Mike Renner largely here, but I mean, Joe Alt, Riley Mills, Howard Cross. He said Howard Cross is the ND player who's absolutely helped himself the most. He's gone from a non-draftable player to probably a middle round kind of guy and maybe pushing higher. Hmm. Audric Estime and Cam Hart. And then I think the maybes, and I think Jack, Jack Kaiser and J.D. Bertrand will probably take a run at this. And then Blake Fisher is the one that you're not really sure about. I think everybody else is – I think Maris Leofow probably comes back. Now, again, we're talking about guys leaving early. You know, there's JJB, uh, Jean-Baptiste, and guys like that that can't come back. Is it fair to conclude at this point that chances are very high Blake Fisher would not be a candidate for left tackle next year? I, I You know, Mike Renner's – answer to this surprised me he thinks he would be a very good left tackle mm. um mm. and thinks he's more athletic than joe Alt. he said that's why he was the five star coming out of high school i i don't know i mean aaron banks the the lure to try to get him to come back was to move him from left guard to left tackle he decided to go into the draft he was a second round pick now he was a true senior when he did that um giving up a fifth year uh, but you know, I think that would be uh, – maybe Blake Fisher is happy at right tackle, but I think that's something that they would have to talk about. I know Tyler James, my colleague, is – he thinks Emil Wagner is the guy to emerge over there on he the told left me side. that Saturday. We had a discussion yeah. about that. Okay. I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, Emil Wagner is super athletic, super, super athletic. And I brought up this week that might be an under-the-radar transfer portal spot as well, possibly. It could be. I mean, Tyler thinks that. I think less of that because okay. I think you've got some pretty good prospects, but we'll see. Finally, Sean from Portland, Oregon. He says, Coach Freeman made comments recently about having open and honest dialogue with players about the transfer portal during the season. He asked three questions. I'll do it one at a time. Number one, have you heard anything about potential outgoing transfers? No, I mean, we can all guess at them, but 
I mean, nobody's talking about that. They're focused on finishing their season. Number two, do you think Hartman will play in a bowl game? And let me ask it this way. New Year's Six, Pop-Tarts Bowl, does it matter? I'm not sure it matters with him. I I think he's going to play. Just Mm -hmm. He talked to the media last night, and just some of the things he said about how much Notre Dame has meant to him and his teammates and Marcus Freeman. I mean, he's not a first-round draft choice. Um, Probably that middle round at this point. And he may be making more money in college than he is. So I I think he plays. I still think he's kind of a late-round guy at this time. Yeah. Finally, is... Freeman setting up Mickens to be Al Golden's successor with his recent comments, which was asked by Mr. Hansen. I mean, that wasn't his intent. His intent was to answer the question I asked him honestly, and he did. But what he's saying is that Mike Mickens would get strong consideration. I don't think he's saying he's the defensive coordinator and waiting, uh, but he was very honest, and I think Mike Mickens deserves it and will get a shake. But I wanted to get him on the record. I don't want any of this source to say, uh, you know, I wanted it to be. You know, what does Marcus Freeman think? Okay. Can I ask something not on the script? Sure. Just, I know we're getting short on time here. There are reports that Big Ten coaches to the Big Ten commissioner basically threw a fit that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan – They have not been punished as of yet for the alleged sign-stealing scandal. Now, apparently Harbaugh jumped off the coach's teleconference or whatever you call it, the meeting, and then the coaches kind of went after a brand-new commissioner. Eric is in a tough spot. There are millions and millions of dollars on the line with a team going to the college football playoff. You've got TV companies paying mucho money to bring you the Big Ten championship game which might involve Michigan so for a guy who's been on the job a short amount of time I think he's in a really tough spot because Eric the investigation isn't done yet even though there's a lot of things that make you feel like Michigan is guilty but if the investigation is not done what can he do well he can't until there's adjudication of that but if the Big Ten is investigating this I mean they have um, a duty to investigate it thoroughly and expeditiously. I mean, if they were dragging their feet on purpose, well, we don't want to. Is it better to eliminate Michigan before they get to that point or mm. ask them to vacate wins and championships after the fact? I think you're better off getting it before it happens and not penalizing people down the road and. So I, I don't know, but yeah, it's well, a difficult spot, but you can't, you can't move on it until mm-mm. there's something has been completed. I mean, it looks bad. It looks like well, it's not going to go Michigan's way. Well, how but, about the thing today where the guy in question is telling the defensive coordinator run, right. They bring safeties to the right and leave the middle of the field wide open and Ohio state runs to the right and they stuff it on second down and nine. I mean, those are the things that just look not good. They don't look not good, and it's, I mean, Mm. you know I have two people that I usually regularly talk to that are on that staff. One's an analyst, one's an assistant coach. I haven't talked to them, so I'm just kind of staying out of it. I think that's wise. That is very, very wise. It's not my story. (laughs) No, but... It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating story. And they got to be careful because this sets a precedent. they got to nail this. Yeah, they the got to nail this. The the inter- John Bryce um, from Football Scoop had an interesting story today. Now suddenly there's the revisiting of the helmet uh, communications and speeding that process up, which I thought was kind of an interesting sidebar. Nobody uses that right in college because Ryan Harris right. on the Notre Dame Network said there are speakers in the helmet. That's only yeah. in the NFL, right? I believe that's yeah, true. I, yeah, that, that was so they're trying to speed up the technology for college. Not a bad idea. But, you know, there's probably somebody that would hack into the communications. (laughs) The stallion is on the move again. (laughs) 
Okay, Twitter question of the day. Yesterday, using the college football playoff rankings, which of these four teams is actually the better team? The four teams, number 11, Penn State, number 13, Louisville, number 14, LSU, number 15, Notre Dame. You voted yesterday. Notre Dame. The results coming in fourth place, the team that beat Notre Dame, number 13, Louisville, only got 5.9% of the vote. Losing to Pittsburgh probably hurts their cause. How did they lose to Pittsburgh? How? Okay, third of the voting. Penn State, 6.9%. They just look so poor offensively against Ohio State, it's hard to pick them right now. Yep. Okay, number two in the voting. Oh, my goodness. Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers only got 14.7% of the vote, which leaves us with Notre Dame as the best team of the four, getting 72.5% of the vote. I would think they have the biggest potential of the four. For sure, when they play their best, I think they can beat all four. Okay, today's question, Eric. What is the most likely outcome of the Notre Dame-Clemson game? I broke it down this way this week. Notre Dame wins by one to six points. Notre Dame wins by seven plus points. Clemson wins by one to three points. Clemson wins by four or more points. You can vote at 960. That's 960 on Twitter. Eric, your vote based on your prediction earlier is? Um, the Notre Dame winning by six or fewer points. Was that? That is correct, okay. sir. All right, so that is your vote. We'd love to get your vote. You can vote right now on Twitter X at 960. Sports beef. And we wrap up the hour. Oh my goodness. Much, much more at insideindiesports.com. Oh, that's supposed to be last. I screwed it up. Tell us what's at insideindiesports.com. I got all the news from Marcus Freeman today during his Zoom with the media, including a couple of off off uh, <laughs> topic topics. Uh, <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, we have an opponent outlook from Tyler James. Uh, Charleston is busy on the recruiting stuff. He had talked to a 2027 quarterback what? prospect who visited Notre Dame. Is he in fifth grade? I think so. Goodness gracious. And, of course, Darren, there's much, much more. Can't wait. That's my favorite part. Much, much more. I'll get you out of here. Thank you so much, Eric. Read Eric at InsideIndieSports.com, and I will talk to you through your headphones Saturday, 9 a.m., Game Day Sports Beat, brought to you by Bud Light. Awesome. And I will be not posing as Allison Hayes, hopefully. That's right. Tim Murray from Beeson talks Notre Dame football next on WSBT.